There is no trial that will that will come in your way that God doesn't allow that will strengthen your marriage and give you validity to it. You know, and you look at Paul's writings, Paul uses marriage a lot as an example of Christ in the church. So if if you're married or you're thinking about getting married, trials and tribulation will come into your life. And what are we going to do with them? How are we going to react to various trials or testings? Do we complain about them? Or have we learned to thank the Lord for them? And that's what James starts out with. Again, James will speak in this epistle two times of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talks about being born again. Talks about hypocrisy. Talks about anger. Talks about the tongue. It is a, a just a compilation of the reality of the profession you profess to make. Nothing is worse than a religious hypocrite. And James was writing in that vernacular. <clears throat> So in verse 12, blessed is a man who endures temptation. A biblical Christian who has walked with Christ, who has learned to to thank him for the trials and learn that the joy comes from knowing that Christ is not only going through the trial with him. This is the thing that Satan wants to blind our eyes from. Christ not only goes through the trial with us, him being God and everywhere all at once, he is at the end of the trial waiting for us. Think about that. That security, we can have joy, we can have confidence, because we know that God allows these trials in our life to produce joy and endurance and patience, to purify our heart and to give us the joy. Jesus talked many times about his desire. He talked about it to his father in John 17. His desire was that his joy might be made full in us, might be our joy. Think about that. God wants to give you his joy. And we know from James and elsewhere, that joy comes not from a life of ease, you know, not from a life of, of everything is going right. Wow, this is great, isn't it? But all of a sudden, your, your freshly newly wife conducts cancer. My God, how can this be? But when everything's going right in your job, all of a sudden they want to go, you know, the world is flat, they want to go to India. So you're out of a job, or whatever it might be. Or God forbid your kid dies at a young age or what have you. Is God not in control in those times? Yes, he is. Like when we talked about last week, when Satan fell, and we read about that in various parts of the Bible, was God not in control? When Adam and Eve sinned, was God not in control? Wait a minute. God said that by the predetermined foreknowledge of God, he predetermined from eons past the gospel that Christ would die for the sin of the world way before Adam and Eve. So when Adam and Eve sinned, was God not in control? Yes, he was. He already had the remedy, Christ. So we see from an early part of the Bible that God is constantly telling men the truth of their lost condition, and yet he had Christ as the answer. My brethren, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that this testing is going to produce in your life something. Now, as I've talked about before, we've talked about religious hypocrisy. There is no more worse hypocrite than a religious hypocrite. I mean, I, let's just face it. There is none. And do you know that religious hypocrisy turns God's spiritual stomach, so to speak? It is smoke in his nostrils. 
So let's look at what Christ came to do. He came to die for the sin of mankind. We turn to him, and the Bible says we become born again, regenerated, or born from above. We receive the nature of, of Christ himself. Comes to live with us within the Holy Spirit. We are forgiven of all of our sin. Think about that. This produces something. This produces a life of validity. So as we, we talked about verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. God doesn't tempt anyone. He himself is not tempted with evil. But look at verse 14 real quick. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire, verse 15, is conceived, he gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth to death. Look at what he ends up in verse 16 about that. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. Sin is deceptive. It might look good on the outside. It's like that picture of a perfect apple. You know, somebody wants to bite into it, and it's, there's a razor blade in there. Sin looks good on the outside until you bite into it, and then it really puts its effect upon you. Verse 17, every good gift is where I want to start this morning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Let me read a couple of verses and then we'll get back. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. We'll explain that. Verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, or slow to anger. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Every good gift, back in verse 17, and perfect gift is from the Father of life, because he is perfect. And what he gives to us is perfect. What he allows to happen to us is going to produce a perfect result. You know, joy, for example, let's talk about joy for just a minute. Joy is, is an inner gladness that comes from the God of this universe that resides outside of time. He only came in time when in Jesus Christ, he pierced time in his son, and he lived and died on our behalf. But this joy is what, what uh, I like to call an inner gladness, that despite circumstances, it's the joy because God is the God of your life, is in control. Versus happiness, it's got to be rekindled. I might be happy today, but I might be sad tomorrow. Or I might be happy tonight, but I might wake up on the quote, wrong side of the bed tomorrow. And what happiness fleeted away today, I got to do something or have somebody or have something happen to me to regain that happiness tomorrow. That is not biblical joy. Biblical joy comes from an outside source, Christ himself through the Holy Spirit, despite circumstances. Wow. And what does God do a lot of times to get that? Trials. Testings. That's where the church nowadays is falling down. They don't teach that. God is a God of love. Yes, he is a God of love. But he's also a God of discipline. He disciplines me for my good. And he allows trials to come in for my good in his glory. We used the example last week. Mary and Martha were grieving their, their, their uh, brother Lazarus that had just died. But Jesus purposely stayed away. 
And they came, they finally came to the gravesite, and what did they say? Lord, if you would only have been here, my brother would have lived. And Jesus said the precedent we're talking about here. Did I not tell you that you would see the glory of God? Remove the stone. Oh, Lord, you don't understand. He stinks by now. He's been in the grave four days. Move the stone. And he spoke, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the grave. Now, that they saw God's glory was demonstrated, but their faith was validified. They had that trial for their good and God's glory. It produced in them. And that's what God does when he comes into our life. God enters the soul. He changes. We are born from above. We're his children, his creation, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the rubber meets the road. And it produces a life. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I've lived hypocrisy for the first 23 years of my life. I don't want to live it anymore. I don't want to see it anymore. And I certainly don't want to live it within my home. Good gifts. The best gift we've talked about is, is God gave the gift of eternal life. What do you do with a gift? You can either receive it or you can reject it. Camp brought that movie. I can either receive it or I can reject it. Jesus said to the multitude, to his disciples first, who do the men say that I am? Uh, this and this and this and this. Then he haunted down. Who do you say that I am? Anyone who professes the name of Christ, the Bible says, not only should it depart from iniquity, but it produces a life that is different. And it's not a life that we can go out and show off in front of the world. It's a life that we are witnesses for Christ, that, that he really rose from the dead, that he really paid the price for my sins. My sins are gone. And when I die, whenever that's going to be, I will be with him forever. I will not face a Christless eternity or hell. That's a gift. That is a supreme gift. But every gift that God gives us is perfect. You know why? Explain to the last part of this verse. Of whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. God will not throw you a curveball. God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know God. He is solid. He is the same. I, the Lord God, I change not. Every gift that He gives us, we can, un we can count on the fact that it is good and it is right and it is pure. Wow, think about that. There's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. The Proverbs say that if that you are to leave a man that's given to change. You know? A man or a situation that's constantly changing, you know. They, there's another illustration of the Proverbs. It's like grasping oil. You know, having you done you, know, you grasp oil and you think you have it, it squirts off over here. You know? It's the fallacy of trying to grab the wind and go, well, you know, the wind's doing this and that. You can't grab it. You can't get control of it. And you certainly can't get control or grab something that's constantly changing. <laughs> you know? Or in that, you know, in the, in the passage uh, in Exodus 32 where you're standing on slippery ground. You know, the person outside of Christ is constantly on slippery ground because hell is not a place where you're part of your friends. Hell is a place of, of separation from the goodness and grace of God forever. It's a place described as outer darkness, full of torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth, all this stuff. 
And God has given a gift not only of eternal life, but after eternal life is received, that's all God does is showers with gifts. Even his reproving, his correction is a gift because he loves you. It's not like you say, kid, I've had it with you, you know, I'm, you know, just get out of here. No, you continue loving him and correcting as long as he is in your sphere. And that's what God does. Every gift is perfect because he loves us. Oh, there's more validity to the scriptures and God shows it by everything he does to us, including correction. Look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Did you catch that? Of his will. This is what God wanted to do. God's will is that we would be born again. By the way, that's a term that's used now by the New Age and all these other, it doesn't have the biblical meanings it once did, or born from above. What that means is that God had forgiven our sins, has entered into our soul, and produced that life. It's called regeneration. The Holy Spirit comes in and parts a divine nature within us, and we have the mind of Christ. And now our conscience, our spirit is alive. That spirit of us is, again, what we speak to God with. We communicate with God. We're spiritual beings. The Bible says His spirit bears with our spirit that we're children of God. See, we're all souls. You know, we are all souls. We're cognizant of our surroundings. We have emotions. We have feelings. We know we're alive. We know we're different from the animals. We know we're different from the plants. But the spirit, when a man or a woman is born again or, or has trusted in Christ as their Savior, God alivens and quickens the spirit. So now we have God consciousness. Now we can, we can have communion with God, the one who created us. What a fallacy to go through life not knowing the one who created you. That's called humanism, by the way. Of his own will, I love that. And Jesus, if you look at John chapter 10, talks about what God's will is. In fact, let's see, let's look through it real quick. Just John chapter 10. Well, I get so excited I can't turn my own Bible. also look at a couple passages in John 6, but what I want you to see how Jesus equates what the Father's desire is to, to us. He says in John chapter 10 verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch him out of my Father's hand. Now go back a few verses, or a few chapters of John 6. We see what really the heart of God is. Jesus said, I've given to them eternal life. No one's going to take them out of my hand. We go back to John chapter 6, and we see what the will of God really, I mean, a part of God's will. He says, all that the Father gives me, verse 37, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will no binds cast out. 
Verse 39, For this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing but raise up on the last day. Verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have eternal life. God's will is that we would come to him, his way, and have life. And the devil makes a good muddy water by saying, wow, you don't realize it, man. You're going to be a religious fanatic. You know, you're going to be laughed at. Um, nobody's going to pay you any attention. And, and oh, by the way, you're going to be one of these religious people. You're going to have to give up so much, and your life is no. No. Your life is going to be abundant, full, and vibrating <coughs> with vitality. So back in James... By his own will, he brought us forth. That we might be a first fruits among his creatures. He has many that are going to come to faith in him. When Christ died, the Bible says that his travail is going to follow him. The seed is going to follow him. There are many that are going to be his. But this one thing does not elude, should not elude them all. Even if you were the only sinner, Christ would still go to the cross for you. And that's love. So then, verse 19, I love the word so then. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Remember last week we started this out by saying, one commentator from the 17th century said that the, uh, the book of James is really kind of a, a compilation of sermon notes. You have to take every section with the word of God, like you do the whole Bible, but this, you know, there's so many things in here. But if we're going to talk about what this life produces, we better not hurry through it. And I think that's what's wrong a lot with the Christian church today. Is that, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. He died for your sins. Good. Praise God. Let's go home. And you go on with your life. And, and when these trials come, when these things come in real life, because life is real. <laughs> you know, you don't just be like the flower children of the 60s, stick a flower in your hair, sit on a street corner, and everything's going to be fine because Jesus is love. There's more to this life that entails that. Would you do that to your kids? Oh, hey, you're acting up. That's okay. You'll get through it. When you get through it, come back to me and everything will be fine. Oh, that's, that's an atrocity. We stick it out, and that's what God does. But look what this produces. Let's, let's, uh, let's get going on this. Swift to hear. Wow. That's a, that's a good one. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Most people are quick to speak and slow to hear. I want to be, I want to be able to, to hear more. I want to be able to hear. Learning comes from hearing. There was a great uh, line on one of the movies that we like and said, one guy says to this cop, he says, you don't, you don't talk much. And the cop says, why? I've never really learned from speaking too much. You learn from hearing. You reason from hearing. You understand from hearing. Do we listen to the Word of God? That's the first form. If we don't know how to listen to our spouse or listen to, to those around us, it's probably a good indication that we aren't listening to God to be still before Him. Slow to speak. Wow, we, there are so many things in the Proverbs about the tongue. Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. 
But he who restrains his lips is wise. It's Proverbs 10. Listen to this one. This is one of my favorites. Proverbs 13, 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Wow. Always have an opinion. Always have this. Always have that, you know. When we're doing this, sin is abounding. The Bible says that even a fool, when he restrains his lips, is, is accounted as wise. And then, we, and then we're talking slow to wrath, slow to anger. Slow to, to enact judgment and revenge and a grudge. You know? Well... You know, and I'm not going to be reconciled to that guy because unless he apologizes to me, you know, or it's the it's the famous, if he hit you, hit him back. You know? No reconciliation, no peace and no harm has ever come from somebody exacting unlawful anger and vengeance for themselves. And this was all of our lot. Look at verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It just means the right standing. It means living righteously. Living right. Living upstanding. I want to live upstanding first in my home. And then I want to carry it into my ministry. And then I want to carry it into, into my life. And it's involving the world. Like we've said before. If it doesn't happen in the home, it ain't happening out there. I want to be a Christian at home. Men, if, if there was untold people that secretly came to your wives and said, and they knew, nobody will find out, tell me deeply from your heart, what is your husband like? Does he truly live what he professes or what? What would they say? Anger of man doesn't produce this type of righteousness. So he says, therefore. Remember therefore? <laughs> I love that word. Therefore, means all that's gone before. Consider these things. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Wow. The engrafted word or the implanted word which is able to save your soul. What saves a soul? It's the word of God. It's the gospel. It's the fact that man is undone before God. That sin is separated between you and your God, Isaiah says in Isaiah 52 and 59. Sin has separated you. And there's a gulf there. And, and if, go, if this sin goes on beyond the grave, you have a problem. Because you're going to face this God and give an account for the way that you've lived your life apart from Him. We've all sinned. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Listen, folks, man is unable to live a life on his own that is pleasing or acceptable to God. 
He is unable. He doesn't have the power to do it. He doesn't have the will to do it. He doesn't have the desire to do it. And by nature, he cannot do it. The Bible teaches. So he's unable to live a life on his own that is pleasing or acceptable to God. This is what the Bible affirmly stands on. It abundantly affirms this. Isaiah put it this way. Listen to this. But all we are as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We are all to fade away as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We need a right standing with God. We need to have these filthy garments or, or, of taken away. You know, if you look at Zechariah chapter 3, you know, when, when Joshua in Zerubbabel, Joshua standing before the Lord, and, and the Lord commands the angel, take, this faith, take these filthy garments off of him and clothe them with, with new garments. I've taken away your sin. And the Bible says that us, we have, that have, been, have come to Christ as our Savior and our Lord, that we have life with God, he clothes us with a robe of righteousness. He clothes us with the right standing of God, which is Christ himself. And plan a word which is able to save your souls. And then we come to the thing that the... the the crux of the matter. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, he says, all men will know when they lift me up. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, the, the, the word is able to save our souls. You know why he cried that out? My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Because Christ was being judged for our sin. He took my place. Instead of me being judged, instead of me standing, the Bible says emphatically that there's fear. And it's terrifying to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what Jesus on the cross was taking that punishment that I so rightly deserved. And he was struck on the cross. And God's, we've talked about this before, but it is the implanted word that's going to save your souls. You see, what Jesus cried on the cross was prophesied. This one we're looking at here, my God, my God, why is there forsaken me? Look in Psalm 22, you'll see it. It's all been prophesied. Even down to the point that not a bone of his body shall be broken. When they went to the two thieves on either side, they broke their legs to expedite their death. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. That's fulfilling that prophecy. I mean, so much minute detail. We know the crafted word can save our souls. Jesus Christ, God said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sky drew dark. We talked about this before. It's a wonderful part of the gospel. God is light. He cannot dwell in darkness. Jesus Christ was surrounded, shrouded in darkness, taking the punishment for our sins. The grafted word that will save your souls. Wow. That is a biblical Christian, not one that makes a profession, not one that goes to church every Sunday and, and gets, that, gets that kind of spiritual placebo working as an ointment to kind of soothe his aching conscience. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about one who, who has come to Christ and realized that he was on the cross dying for me. And that the word says that if I believe in him, that I will be justified. From all things that the law of Moses could not do. In other words, God's righteousness is summed up in the Ten Commandments. And by the way, if somebody said, well, I'm not a Jew, that doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. 
Romans chapter 2 says that even though the Gentile, non-Jew, doesn't have the law, you know, thou shalt honor thy father and mother, thou shalt not murder, and so on and so forth, the things that they do in the heart are a lot of themselves. God has put his law in the heart of Gentiles. The Jews are, are even more condemned because they had the law, if you will, written on stone. But this word says that I can come to Christ and every lie, every adulterous thought, every malice, envy of my neighbor, everything from the first commandment all the way to the end, everything was taken by Christ on the cross for me. And God struck him and crucified, had him crucified and judged him instead of judging me. And that's what it means by the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Wow. Now, now that that is firmly established, the only way I'm going to be saved is because I received the gift of eternal life, that Christ died for my sins, the innocent one for the absolutely guilty one, the one that had no sin for the one that was laden with sin. And he took the punishment for me. Now, we're starting to get into the word that says there is a, a life that is lived because of this. Look at verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Listen, it is possible to consistently hear the word of God taught and have it as an end in itself without making it or allowing it to manifest in our lives. There are people that have gone on years and years and years hearing the Word of God and getting an understanding and knowing their Bible, and that's great, but never allowing them to, to sink in. Remember what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians? That he praised the Thessalonians for, not, for looking at the Scriptures, not as the Word of man, but as it is the Word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. You can know something all your life. I could know facts about Mount Everest, the height and everything like that, but I have not experienced the valleys, the temperature changes, the storms. There's a difference. I can read about Mount Everest and know all the, all the great information I want. That is totally different than experiencing it for myself. We don't want to be religious hypocrites. We don't want to be in the world professing a Christianity. Our life is different. I knew a man just not too long ago, I think it was last year, that was talking to a, a friend as an accountant. And this one, this other guy was, was a Christian, known to a lot of people that went to the same accountant. They were talking one day, and the accountant says, you know, this guy so-and-so, uh, he ran out. We've been trying to get uh, payment and so on and so forth, and we just can't get it from him. Wow, really? Who receives a black guy? Christ. We want validity to this life. Be doers of the word. If the word says something, we don't have the power to do it, but we believe the word's the word of God, and he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. Love, for perfect example. Be doers of the word. The word love in the Bible is rampant. God is love. And those who know God, love. And John says, how can you say, I hate my brother who you can see, and then say, I love God who you can't see? But I want to be able to love and do a godly love. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God, 
God's love is poured out through the Holy Spirit in my life. I believe it's John 5, 5, or excuse me, Romans 5, 5. So it's it is possible to consistently hear the word of God. This country is so saturated with the gospel. You know? It's so saturated with, with study Bibles and, and different churches on every street corner and, and you know, the, all the great books and everything. I mean, I wrote three myself. It's just saturated. And yet, look at the plight of this country. Look at the plight of a lot of people that, that should be pointing you the way to Christ, but can't. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only, because if we are just hearers only, we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves and thinking we're learning and have Christianity, and we're not. Biblical Christianity is a life to be lived. It doesn't do us any good to try to teach people how to be a Christian, or the Christian life is this and that. The Christian life is Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Bible says. In you, the hope of glory. That's the, that's the Christian life. And yet we have a movement today that's overtaking this professing church that's saying, well, we need to go out and feed the poor. And do. Yes, we should go out and feed the poor. But that's not our mission. Our mission is to save souls. Our mission is to tell people that they're going to hell. And without Christ, you're going to spend it. Can any, any father anywhere know and look at themselves in the mirror and know if, they're, if they don't speak the truth to their child, that they might end up in hell. And they, they, they can happily go their way, not worrying about it. No. A biblical Christian, we need to snatch people from the fire, as Jude says. It produces something. A doer of the word, whatever the word says, I do. And another point before we go on, we're almost done here. My wife and I were talking about this the other day. When the Bible reproves or corrects, there is no room for argument. None. There is no room for argument. What God says that must go in our life, we don't argue. Well, but, 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 but. You say, well, I don't do that. I don't know anybody who's done that, really. How many people have you ever heard say, well, God hasn't dealt with me with that yet. God hasn't convicted me of that sin yet. That is what they're saying. They know that God says you don't need this to leave this, to shed that off, and yet, yet, but, but, they're arguing. When God to a Christian comes and says, you don't need that in your life, it, it is, yes, sir. There's no room for argument. There's a lot of people, this comes right down to this. I was telling Jerry the other day, and this is so true. When I first heard this, I thought this was one of the harshest statements I've ever heard. But folks, this is a reality and a statement we need to comprehend, we need to con contemplate. There are a lot of people that do not believe that this is the Word of God. They might profess it. They might call it the Word of God. Or they might go to a Bible that, that reads line by line and, and like we do or whatever. But they don't in their heart really believe that this is God's Word. This is the Word of God. It's going to be it's for all eternity, the Bible says. So every time that we open up our Bible and we come with a reverent heart to understand this word, we know it's God's word. It's the most valuable thing this world can afford. 
And every morning when we go to the Word of God or whatever time that you do and you get into it with a reverent heart, you know God is speaking to you. These are His eternal words. Be doers of the Word. How can we be doers of the Word if we don't believe that every word of God is pure? You know, uh, Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure and He is a shield around those who put their what? Trust in Him. That's how we become doers of the Word. Or as Paul says again in 1 Thessalonians, those who believe it's the word of God and not the word of man, that's when God effectively works in those who believe. Wow. Look at verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word, Mike touched on this a couple weeks ago. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself, or excuse me, for he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. <laughs> if you don't believe that this is the solid word of God, it's a mirror. You look in it, and you not only see yourself, but you also see and you hear the voice of God through his scriptures, taught by the Holy Spirit, so that his son might be glorified, our life might be changed. You know... Let me just read something to you. And we've, we've read it a lot. We've contemplated on this a lot. But think about this. When you look at an ambassador for any, any country or any place, an ambassador is, is one that should correctly and honestly portray what that country or man means. Honestly. So we, we are called to be an ambassador for Christ. You know, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. We've all read that before. What's, our, what's this message that we are to carry about as ambassadors? It's this, simply, this is 2 Corinthians 5, by the way, 19. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world himself, not imputing or not applying their transpresses or trespasses or sins or iniquities to them. Not putting their account, but laying them on Christ. He's committed us this word. And he says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. So we're taking this word, we're being a doer of the word, and we, we are going out and effectively communicating who God is. We are his ambassadors. If somebody came to you today and said, I want to know about God, will you teach me about God? Well, I, I'm confused. I don't know. I go, to, I go to this church and they say one thing. I go to this church and they say another thing. And I don't really know. You teach them the Word of God and how to read the Word and how to feed themselves. It's like that old adage, we can give somebody a fish and they can eat, you know, for that day. We teach them to fish and they can eat for themselves for a lifetime. It's the doer of the word. It's that every word of God, it's, it's safe. We don't want to deceive ourselves. We look in, we look in, the, in the word of God and we see ourselves, our true selves. You see, back when we were in the psalm earlier this morning, those people years ago at that Bible study did not want, they, the, the word of God was the mirror, and they didn't like what they saw, so they didn't fix it. They said, I don't want to look at it anymore. Get it away from me. I don't want to see that anymore. The Bible says I'm a sinner. The Bible says I need Christ. 
And I don't want to see that anymore. Get it away. But yet, how many of us going to work in the morning or what have you see that mirror there? And man, we use it to perfect our hair. We use it to, to you know, we have a piece of chive in our tooth, you know, you know, whatever. We use it to gauge how we look and how we present ourselves. But when it comes to the Word of God, it's like when it gets too close and too hard, they don't want it. And that's what he says. This is the man that looks in that mirror and then he goes away and he forgets everything. What kind of man he was. But he who looks, verse 25, into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in various trials, knowing that testing your faith produces endurance, patience. It's the one that endures in the word. And looks in, he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. He's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Or as the King James says, his soul will be made fat. You know, and flourishing. Sap will flow from it at an old age. He'll have that vitality of life that Jesus promised. The law of liberty. Paul says in Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Don't be entangled again into the yoke of bondage. Christ made us free. He explained it the best. What is this freedom all about? Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. That is biblical liberty in Jesus Christ. Liberty to be free. And do those things that please Him. Because that's life. You know, can we really please ourselves? People die trying. I don't have to tell you about Elvis Presley and, and uh, all these other people that seem to have it all. Um, look at Prince. Uh, that guy that died not too long ago. I could go on and on. Brad Delp of the, of the, of the band Boston. Had it all. The peak of their career committed suicide. On and on and on and on it goes. Can people really uh, fulfill themselves? No. They can't provide that which it always seems to be out of grasp. He will be blessed in what he does. Next week we'll get into a little bit about the tongue. But I just want to read these next two verses so we can think about it. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion and before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans, to visit widows in, the trouble, in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted or unstained from the world. The tongue. We're going to talk about the tongue a lot in these coming weeks. What is true religion? You know, people think holding the tongue is only cursing and swearing. Yes, that's a part of it, but not all of it. Let's look at the whole of it. What does the Bible really say about what a man really does? And in the tongue, who no man can tame, is the smallest part of the human body, and yet it's like a rudder of a huge ship that controls it. 
You know, it's difficult. But that's what the Christian life deals with as well. You know, we just want to produce, we want to, to produce an, an attitude of reverence for the Word of God because this is what God uses to, to bring solidity in our lives, not phoniness, not, not hypocrisy. You know, there's people that go around and pride themselves on knowing the Bible, yet they're spiritually ignorant of its, of its content and its power. Jesus said that to religious Pharisees, remember? You greatly err. You know not the Scriptures nor the power of God. And we want to, we want to have both operating our lives. Knowing the scriptures, knowing the power of God, um, and living a life that's, that's worthy of our profession. Cameron, do you pray, please? Thank you, Father, for the mirror of uh, your word. And we pray that when we do look into it, uh, we would walk away, dwell on it, moment by moment, day by day, for this is your will for us, and this is our spiritual food that you provided. Pray that we uh, have ears that would hear, and uh, a heart that is obedient to your word. Amen. Amen. Amen.